This episode of AHLA Speaking of Health Law is brought to you by AHLA members and donors like you. For more information, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's latest GC Roundtable. Um, I have with me two guests, um, Michael and Terry. I'm going to have them introduce themselves. Um, Michael, why don't you introduce yourself first? Sure. Good afternoon, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me today. My name is Michael Harold. I'm the General Counsel and Chief Administrative Officer for Guardian Healthcare. We um, operate about 55 skilled nursing facilities and a handful of assisted living or personal care sites across Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia. I've been with the organization for just shy of five years and uh, have responsibility for helping out with obviously uh, legal issues related to uh, that face our organization. And then as the CAO, I also provide support to our payroll team, our IT uh, group and team, uh, and have some responsibilities with respect to human resources uh, for the organization. Great. Thanks, Michael. And Terry, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Thank you, Sarah and Michael. And this is a real privilege and honor to be sharing the stage with you guys this afternoon. Uh, my name is Terry Lewis. I'm a senior associate counsel at University of Pittsburgh Medical Center located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I've been with UPMC for about 15 years, and I'm responsible for the health systems uh, telehealth platform, as well as all federal and VA contracting, as well as several other uh, areas within UPMC, including physician contracting, we have approximately 5,000 employed physicians in 40 hospitals across three states. And as you can imagine, we're all been very busy, um, but with the, and I'll say a little bit about telemedicine later, but having had been through COVID uh, with the telemedicine and having worked on our platform for 15 years as their senior legal counsel, through uh, blessing, uh, to have that ready for our patients. So there'll be more of that later, but thanks, this is exciting. Great, thank you. And I'm Sarah Swank um, from the law firm of Nixon Peabody in the Washington DC office, and we're gonna get started. So, so let's talk, Terry, what you just said, which is, you know, it's, uh, here we are in, in the beginning of uh, July, 2021, and we've all been through a lot. And we've um, watched caregivers go through a lot. We saw in the beginning, you know, on the news and otherwise, in, and in our communities, people, you know, doing honking, honking horns for our caregivers and, and trying to support caregivers. There's been a lot of talk about burnout in caregivers. Um, what do you think, like, what, what do you think uh, about the role of caregivers um, in the in, during this pandemic and, and your support of them through UPMC. Uh, that's a it's a great question. I, I really feel like our caregivers providers um, just really truly uh, went above and beyond the call of duty to ensure uh, patient care continued for all of our patients in a very difficult situation. And for example, as I mentioned earlier, the telemedicine was a huge part. We had 
gone from about 250 patients a day that we were treating via telemedicine pre-COVID to over 10 to 12,000 a day once COVID began. And, you know, a lot of our providers had not used our telemedicine technology before. And it was just amazing how quickly our providers were able to pivot to the digital environment to help all of our our patients. That doesn't mean we didn't do a lot of in-person too. I mean, obviously the emergency rooms and, you know, surgeries that had to go forward and, and trauma, things like that. But I, I just, you know, the, the words I use, Sarah, is collaboration and dedication and teamwork. It was, it was really fabulous to see. It was very moving. And, you know, being in, we're all in healthcare here and, and all, obviously our audience is too, uh, it was, you know, just something where you feel like, okay, I've, I've been an attorney, I've been working a long time, I'm in law, in healthcare, and, you know, you really see, you got to see truly how important our roles are to support our caregivers and clinical networks, and I just thought it was fabulous, and, you know, there, I, to me, there's no going back, we can talk about that later, but uh, just really amazing stuff. And I'm just, I'm so proud of so many people at UPMC and nationwide. We, you know, around the country, all of our colleagues, everybody stepped up and, you know, our patients were able to adapt as well. And we've had great quality. So thanks. That's a great question. So Michael, going on that theme, you know, when you and I started talking about doing this podcast, I think we had something in common with what Terry was saying, was, which was, you know, this important story of the caregiver and, and, and the role that they played and, and how that influenced organizations and communities. Um, what, why don't you tell us a little bit about your perspective on, on the story of the caregiver and why they were so important? Yeah, thank you. And, and really, it echoes a lot of what Terry said, but um, and I think he said it very well that really our caregivers and, and caregivers across the country really were the heroes of um, this unfortunate situation. And many people um, saw on the news and in other ways um, the devastation and the impact that this pandemic had on skilled nursing facilities, other healthcare providers, other types of providers, hospital systems. And I think that our caregivers at Guardian, caregivers across the country, really, I think, stepped up in a way that is sometimes unimaginable when you, when you think back on what was happening um, a little bit more than a year ago now. And a lot of it was really just, you could see their, their true, just human elements coming out and, and that compassion that they have for other people that's displayed in the work that they do and by getting people, um, many of whom are, are vulnerable um, individuals because they have um, health issues, physical, mental, behavioral health issues um, that really just provided that system of support for those individuals during um, a healthcare crisis that we haven't seen in for over a century um, and that none of us have ever seen um, was really just truly remarkable. And we have tried uh, as often as possible to celebrate 
um, all of the great things that our caregivers did. Um, I remember at one point hearing when one of our sites had um, the virus, uh, had an outbreak of the virus that, you know, there was a, a caregiver who found out that a resident who was um, unfortunately passing, but didn't have family that could be there at the time. And she found out that the resident really, her favorite singer was Elvis Presley. Um, and so this caregiver uh, happened to play the guitar and, and could sing. And so she just spent time um, with that resident um, at you know, that, that transition of life and, and sang um, Elvis tunes uh, to her. So uh, I think just examples like that really uh, demonstrate that level of compassion of going above and beyond providing medical care, health care, um, and just connecting uh, as people. And our caregivers really were an example to all of us um, through that time and in, in that period and, and continue to be. They continue to come in and, and face new challenges um, that, that we still encounter uh, every day. And they do it with, always with grace, so. So Michael, one of the reasons why us a lot of us health lawyers uh, went into health law was was to support patients and, and caregivers, like at the core of it, right? And are there, you know, how have you been inspired by them? And do you still continue to be inspired by the caregivers? How does that fit into your own career path and and your own, I guess, satisfaction with your with your job? It's become a part of daily life for me, Sarah. Um, and I think the the impact that it's had is that it has enabled me to really stop at certain times and think beyond legal issues, business issues that I might be working through and remember what happened over the last year and think about the individual who may have to live with the decision that we're, we're facing as an organization from, from a legal perspective. Um, and I think that has been one of the greatest benefits, um, not only to me as, as our organization's lawyer, but I think to many of my colleagues, um, whether in compliance, operations, you know, other areas, finance, I think because we did our best to support our caregivers during that period, it has really given us an opportunity to focus on making sure that all of the decisions that we face, keep that in mind. Um, the importance of, of making the best decision in light of the caregiver experience and the work that they have to do and, and, and the situations that they encounter daily. So it's almost become part of my routine now in, in decision-making, just trying to think about um, the real impact that a decision could have um, and how that might impact someone who is providing that care that, that you know, we strive to make sure is, is quality care. It's the best care we can, we can give. And, and our caregivers do that all the time. So yeah, it's something I know that's been a driver for me in my career, both as in-house counsel and, and outside counsel. Some, as a in-house counsel, you, you um, can see that impact. And especially as you right. know some of the people that are, and you know the stories, like you said, Michael, but also know the actual people that are out there um, giving care in a, in a like you said, in a human way, that it can be very compelling to keep going and supporting them. Uh, right. Uh, so Terry, how about you? How does, how is the, you know, you, you and I have known each other a long time and I know you've um, supported physicians and, and this, this concept of um, 
technology enabled services and evolution over these years of, of that. How has that, the role of the caregiver inspired you in your career? It, it's, it's another great question. And, and what's amazing about it is um, the see, hearing the stories about how our caregivers have been able to help patients during a very difficult time and, you know, seeing testimonials from patients and the caregivers um, has really just, to me, it reinforces the importance of our work as, as you know, legal counsel in-house and, you know, outside counsel as well. But it really just meshes so well. And I'll give one example. Um, when COVID got underway in the spring of 2020, um, you know, some places were hit harder than others. New York City was one of the hardest hit. And their ICUs were obviously overrun and things like that. They just, you know, there were so many patients that, that got the virus. And so they, uh, one of the hospitals, Mount Sinai in New York, um, reached out to our tele-ICU group at UPMC, and we were able to help them through, you know, telemedicine to help them triage and manage patients. And, you know, we just came up with like a memorandum of understanding, you know, I, you know, license, we could talk about licenses and this and that in a normal world, you know, you got to follow all that, but it needed done. And we were all behind it, um, legal compliance, and obviously the clinicians. And what ultimately occurred is, um, I, you know, a couple months after that, and things had calmed down, although it's, you know, been up and down, the, uh, I opened up the paper, and the, the newspaper only, uh, I think it's like three or four days a week, it gets printed here, but I've had it forever because I'm a big sports fan, I guess, but um, open up the paper, and there's a huge ad from uh, Mont Sinai thanking UPMC and its clinicians and staff for helping them manage that situation and, and you know and other folks commented about it to me and I just felt like you know I'm part of the team part of the collaboration and just so glad that our physicians and all of our providers our nurses staff everyone um, it's just very gratifying and it, it makes you you know I'm more energized than I've ever been uh, for the future of medicine including telemedicine because there's so many more great things we can do and our clinicians are coming up with new ideas and it's just great to be part of it. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it's one of the themes that's come out of this podcast and, and talking to people, this idea of collaboration that didn't, that existed maybe with the clinicians and somewhat uh, among lawyers and others, but just this next level of collaboration um, that, that people hope you know, sustains itself, the idea of like the positive changes and innovation that would, would happen um, as well. It's, these are very common themes. I think the worries that we've heard as themes have been around um, like burnout and, 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 and whether or not those type of like, you know, emotional wellness of our providers um, that have been through something rather traumatic uh, and, and how we support our caregivers, you know, through these kind of more uh, difficult, you know, 
times. And, and some caregivers really do. They have uh, post-traumatic stress. They um, are tired. They've been working long hours and, and ensuring that, that their well-being is, is part of the thought process on um, ensuring that, you know, your, that healthcare moves forward. Uh, and there's, there are some concerns that I've, uh, I've, you've probably heard as well around, you know, people wanting to retire early or who left healthcare and may or may not come back to it after this experience. Michael, how, how is your organization or how, how do you feel about supporting caregivers that, that really have been through a tough time and ensuring that they, you know, continue on and, and how that may impact like future future staffing or, or future, the future of healthcare itself? That's a great question, Sarah. And it's one that is at front of mind for our organization um, right now, because we are seeing a lot of the impact um, of the pandemic with respect to just the, the toll that it takes on, on caregivers, on people, right? Residents, caregivers, families, and Guardian has really, um, you know, we have been working hard as a team to try to find opportunities to support our caregivers um, with um, however the, the, the experience of the pandemic might be manifesting itself. So, you know, we've seen articles, I've, I've read articles from the New York Times about this concept of um, people languishing uh, coming out of the pandemic so in terms of you, you used uh, post-traumatic stress, um, certainly just um, a variety of ways in which the experience of the pandemic is now manifesting itself in people and particularly in uh, caregivers who were at the bedside and saw a lot of things that uh, I don't think they would have to encounter and worked a lot of hours um, more than expected, more than they already do. This is already an industry where people work long, hard hours. So um, we are focused on really finding opportunities to make sure that people have support um, when they're in our sites or when they're at home. So we've found, uh, you know, benefit programs, perk programs. We're looking at right now opportunities to provide those sort of at-home, out-of-work support systems for people, whether it's, um, you know, uh, cleaning services at home. I've, I've had actually a lot of um, Caregivers ask me if we could find good grocery delivery services for them. Many of our sites are located in rural areas in Pennsylvania and Ohio, and so it's hard to get uh, groceries, uh, get to the, find time to get to the grocery store or get a grocery delivery service, something that um, folks in cities might take for granted now. Um, so we look at those things, and then even within our sites, while people are at work, um, we always are trying to find opportunities to make sure that there's time just to, to even talk and have discussions. And when people need emotional support, we, we have a great assistance program to provide them that support, um, sometimes out, outside of the site, sometimes at the site. So um, it's really been a focus for us. And I think you're right. It, it's, I'm so glad you raised that. I'm interested to hear what Terry has to say too, because it's something that I think um, really is critical in moving forward and, and turning the corner on the pandemic now is making sure that we've done our best to support these people who gave so much to our residents. So Terry, what are your thoughts on what Michael said about um, supporting caregivers and what are some of the ways that your organization has been supporting caregivers or, or ideas that are, you've been thinking about? Yeah, and it's, um, and I, I really, Michael, you know, hit the nail on the head. It is about, you know, 
you have to have a plan to care for your caregivers. And, you know, his organization has a very good one. And, and they, you know, let's be honest. I mean, the nursing homes are dealing with the most vulnerable populations. And so it is difficult on any given day, but let alone with everything that happened in COVID. So, you know, at UPMC, what we've really tried to focus on through, you know, teamwork and collaboration is sort of having like a peer system where if you feel like you're overwhelmed or you need some time off, um, I don't want to call it job sharing, but we have instances where you can trade off, you know, shifts, things like that. But also uh, our HR and health plan have some amazing resources whether you want to see somebody online um, or see somebody in person or just to see, you know, take some basic video courses and see where, you know, maybe where they can gauge where your stress level is and then make recommendations. We have a very robust within our health plan um, health coaches. And it used to be, well, you'd have to go to the office or whatever there, but that's all done. That can all be done by a telemedicine now. And I think it's like Michael said, it's critically important because, you know, this was, we are living through history still right now. We're still in the federal public health emergency. COVID is still out there. And in certain countries, it's still running rampant. Um, we're living through history here. We don't fully know yet the impact of this, but I, I would say that the, the issue with like provider burnout and stress is at the top of everybody's level now in healthcare because our healthcare providers are the system. It's not the bricks and mortar. It's not the technology. It, you know, it's not the uh, equipment at the hospital. It is the providers, the physicians, the physician assistants, the nurse practitioners, the nurses, the dietitians. everybody plays a role. And so I think, you know, what we've tried to do, because we have a health plan within our uh, delivery system, we have really worked hard to make sure and constantly repeat that there are resources available. And each one of our clinical departments has folks designated, you know, whether it's the vice chair of a department or a division chief, to be cognizant of these issues and try to Instead of because no one, you know, a lot of us, we all want to say, oh, yeah, we're good. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But sometimes maybe you're not fine. But being able to confidentially talk to a, a peer, um, get some recommendations. And if, if folks need time off, they're going to get that. There's no question about it. But also for just their well-being, if there are things we can do through the health coaches and things like that, let's do it. So it's uh, it, it, I think, you know. This is going to be very, very important going forward um, because, you know, there is an aging population of providers as well on top of this. So you have to think about how to best manage this. You don't want to hire a new emergency medicine board certified physician and say, well, you got to work 2,500 hours a year. They're going to burn out in three years and, you know, that'll be that. We've got to manage this, you know, um, a little closer than probably the healthcare system did before. But these issues have brought 
these crises have brought the issue to the forefront. And like Michael said, his his organization is addressing it. We're addressing it. And I'm sure a lot of others are, too. And so I think at the end of the day, if we can mitigate a lot of that, it's going to it's going to be a win win for our patients, for the providers, for everyone. So, Terry, one way that before the pandemic, we were looking at physician burnout and also looking at physician satisfaction was related to payment reform and value-based care. The idea that it wasn't, you know, overbooking a physician where they're back-to-back because there's an assumption that a certain number of patients are going to cancel and then they're like back-to-back, back-to-back in an office setting, um, you know, set up to fail before they started their day. Might sound familiar to some of us lawyers too. Uh, set up to fail before we started our day um, with the schedule. Like, you know, one could humanly get through that. Um, and the idea that uh, at least the intention of value-based care was to make the, you know, to have patient-centered care, which is a satisfier for physicians, but also to be able to ultimately slow down your practice to spend more time focusing on your patients and also have the right caregiver at the right level, you know, working to the top of your license, um, providing these other like care coordination and other services. Do you, do you see, you know, do you see this um, coming back? I mean, it seems like I, I'm, I'll tell you, I'm seeing, you know, this is the work I do. I'm seeing, seeing more and more of it. And the thing that I'm seeing that feels different to me is the integration of technology in a way that, I feel like I've been advocating for years, but I'm, I'm seeing it now. What, what, are you, what are you seeing or what are your thoughts on that, Terry? Another great question, Sarah. Um, yes, we, you know, one of the things, you know, payment reform is a, is a very complex issue, as we all know. Um, but CMS continues to be innovative and they have a lot of new programs where it is more um, sort of team-based care. That's not across the board, and it may never be. However, what we've tried to do at UPMC is um, within a practice group, whether it includes physicians, physician assistants, nurse practitioners, nurses, other you know clinical staff, we have really tried to have everyone be able to work, like you said, sort of at the top of their license, but to be able to uh, share the medical care and medical decision making. And so that one physician in that group isn't just constantly slammed, you know, when patients come in and they, they have to be the one to see them. Um, you know, our physician assistants and nurse practitioners with their supervisory agreements can do a lot of that work. And so one of the things that's very important, I think, going forward is, is the integration of the advanced practice providers like the physician assistants and the nurse practitioners. And the other thing is, obviously, you mentioned it, and we all mentioned it, the technology, the telemedicine. Uh, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to our providers and said, and they've said, you know, I've actually, I'm seeing more patients, but I'm not as crazy because busy because I'm able to do part of my day in person. Part of it, we have scheduled visits set up on, you know, our mobile app and things like that. And so it works well. And they, you know, 
one of the one of a one provider told me a specific story that you know he had a patient that you know they just hated to go to the, the doctor's office and they had some conditions things like that but you know they're still fairly healthy and everything but they just dreaded it they just dreaded going getting their blood pressure done getting their testing and so instead of them having to come in three or four times a year now they might come in once they do the blood work and and you know whatever's required under you know medical necessity and then they've been able to do it via telemedicine, the other visits. And it's like, it's a win-win because the patient, you know, he, he suggested the patient's been a lot more forthcoming when they're actually not in person and they feel like they can just say, Hey, you know, this is how I feel today, or this is what my blood pressure was or this or that. But it also for our providers in our clinical groups, the technology you know, we're not all quite there yet of exactly how we're going to use it going forward. But I do believe the buy-in has happened now by our clinicians given COVID. And I think that's a good thing. And we'll continue to retool and refocus it. But I do think it's going to be very helpful to in dealing with some of these issues about like physician burnout. Yeah. And so, Michael, um, so what Terry said when I think about the first like MSSP ACO proposed regs, or even when the program launched, they really like left out like skilled nursing facilities, which is where the most vulnerable Medicare population sat. And, you know, they did end up changing that part of the program. Um, there's also something that's a little different, which is, you know, the idea that you, you know, there's some things you can't put on telehealth, but then there's also a way to supplement with telehealth. Um, what are you seeing around or what are your thoughts around payment reform, um, especially given now that we're seeing that long term care and, and actually can be one of the most impactful ways to improve quality and um, and cost effectiveness. Right. And, and I think um, the long term care industry, uh, as you all know, and as I'm sure many in the audience know, had a, a change in reimbursement uh, occurred just before the pandemic, right, in terms of uh, the implementation by CMS of PDPM um, with respect to um, one of the ways in which we're, we're, you know, Medicare is reimbursed. And so um, a lot of that change was occurring or had been occurring just prior to the pandemic. And I think that with the pandemic, we've seen um, much more of a focus on, as Terry was mentioning, really that, that um, care coordination, you know, value-based care that is really um, driven by an interdisciplinary team that I think will be one of the benefits coming out of um, the pandemic because this was an opportunity, um, despite all of the challenges that the pandemic provided, it was an opportunity for at least the long-term care industry to see how effective an interdisciplinary team could be with added support from technology solutions. So CMS implemented waivers around telemed um, for our industry um, you know, during the pandemic, they continue to exist. And um, I, I think this was a good time for our, um, our industry, our organization in particular to, to see um, really real world examples of how telemedicine, telehealth um, technology solutions can really support the, the care that's provided by caregivers. So I, I think there is actually a lot of optimism on our part um, with respect to going forward in terms of how technology can support care delivery. 
And on the reimbursement side, I, I think we see those opportunities and some of it is unknown. And uh, you know, there's still a, a large part of it where we need to get back into um, understanding and observing how PDPM will impact operations. But those are all things that I think there's, there is some uh, at least hopeful optimism uh, around in, in our business and in the long-term care industry. And I hope you don't mind, Sarah, but I just want to say that the, one of the points that Terry was making earlier about um, telemedicine, just anecdotally, and I'm sorry it's about me, but I will just say that during the pandemic, I use telemedicine services. Actually, Terry will be pleased to know from UPMC because my PCP is with <laughs> UPMC. Um, and, and I have to tell you that I did it because I think of one of the examples here, I didn't want to go to the doctor's office and go through another COVID screening. I had been doing it enough uh, at our office or in our buildings. And I, I thought, I just don't feel like going to have the temperature taken and the mask and all that stuff. So I did it from my home and, and it was great. So um, I think, you know, it really, technology, I think is something that really is, is where we've seen a lot of opportunity and a lot of um, ease of use and, and hopefully uh, to Terry's point, you know, it's something that, that really sticks after this because in long-term care, that can be a difficult transition. You know, it, it's it's an industry that is not one to um, often change quickly with the time. So, um, sorry, just wanted to offer that. No, I think that's great. What do you have to say about that, Terry? I, I was, I know, I was going to jump in. You made me the punch, Sarah. That, Michael, that's wonderful. And just, you know, just to hear that and thank you for sharing your experience. Um you know, that, that does, it, it means, it means so much because, you know, we, as, you know, as attorneys and compliance folks, you know, we're there working hard, typing up documents, doing our research, you know, calling our outside counsel, like Sarah, like, Oh my God, I don't know what to do. I'm about to jump out the window. Um, but just the fact that, you know, you work on these projects and you see them evolve and then all of a sudden holy heck it worked like this thing's working it's hipaa compliant the patients are happy you know there's been great quality so it's 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 really in a way just very humbling but but i also will just say you know on a professional and personal level um i have you know i i had no idea i would end up in healthcare let alone at upmc just you know even putting aside you, just to be able to help the folks that help all of us every day and our family members and friends and community. So it's, it's really, it's, it, and we've all discussed that it's, it's very gratifying. That is true, Terry. We don't always get to see the positive side of what we've worked on. Sometimes we, you know, people will call us when it doesn't go well, right? So it's always nice. I, nice to hear when it when it when it you hit a home run, you know. Um, so that leads me to want to ask you both both this on like a more personal note. Like um, I played this game with my kids, and I made I made some GCs do this the other day on a podcast, which was we play this game high low haha, and the idea is what's the highest moment, what's your lowest moment, and what's your funniest moment. And so I'll give you a second to think about it, and I'll I'll try to make up another ones for myself here on the fly. Um, but uh, it would be nice to hear what, what from your perspective, what that was. And I'll, I'll tell you, um, my, my highs were 
were really like being able to get information out to people that I thought were critical in like surge areas like you were talking about, Terry, where there was an in-house counsel who's trying to figure something out and the government page is changing and this is happening. And sometimes it's just needing a soundboard. Sometimes it's just needing a perspective. Sometimes it's needing a citation or just the permission to go do what's right, you know? Um, and so I feel like that was my high. Um, and my low was sometimes hearing from those same people, um, you know, about, about the people that were, were dying in their facilities and, and how hard it was to watch that. And, and how sad that was. So that, that was my low. I think my funny, my most recent funny was I feel like I'm like back in college because I caught myself, um, I, I'm sure we're all just really busy and I'm sure everyone's listening who's a health attorney, compliance professional, or even in healthcare, it's running around crazy busy in your own, a lot of us in our houses, some of us in the facilities, but I caught myself in the kitchen, like eating a bowl of cereal, standing up, just like shoveling it in my mouth <laughs> as my lunch. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've reverted back to college. What happened to me? I'm just like, all right, time to go. Get like one minute to eat some cereal and like go. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I'm not on the Zoom call right now. People watching me. Um, so uh, Michael, I want to have you go. Can you tell us what your high was uh, your, during the pandemic or you know, recently uh, low and your uh, funny moment? Sure, that, that's... Um... This is a good question, Sarah, yeah. So I think um, the high for me during the pandemic really goes back to, and you mentioned it earlier, um, I think there were many times that this happened that it just gave me such um, personal satisfaction was really the way in which I saw our team members, our caregivers, our people collaborate with other people, whether inside or outside of our organization. Caregivers were working nonstop to make sure that residents were safe and, and cared for. And I constantly heard stories from people about the skilled nursing facility down the street that didn't necessarily have the most up-to-date information um, from their corporate office. And so our people would call and say, well, can I share this? Can we give this? Can we, and, and it was just, you know, no questions asked like, yes, do it. Uh, you know, this is great if we can help people. Um, so I think that just, that was one of the great um, high moments that fortunately reoccurred many times It would sort of get you through those lows um, during the pandemic. So, and I, I think that just speaks to the way our, our team stepped up to help support those caregivers because it, it, it shows you that everyone was focused on people and keeping people safe and delivering good care to those people, good health care, quality care to people. I think the low for me was really sort of early in the pandemic. And just from, from my seat in the organization and, and, and sort of my view on, on, on all of our sites, um, we could see as, as the pandemic was starting the way in which the virus was progressing. And so, you know, we were good in that we had information available, we shared information, we had clinical playbooks, we had, we were making sure that clinical guidance and guidelines were being shared um, with our sites. But at the end of the day, sometimes you would go home and just know that despite all of the good work that you did to get information to people, make sure that they had supplies and PPE, um, you know, all of that work that was being done, you still just saw on the map this virus um, coming. And so that was often um, frustrating. But you know, it, it also in a way 
just gave you the motivation to get up the next day and keep going at it and keep making sure that you had the PPE available and you were getting it to the sites and you had the, the, new, the latest information from CDC and other health sources um, to, to share with the site. So, um, but that, that was one of the low points, I think, for me. Um, the funny, I, I think, for me is, is um, it, it's a, a little bit of a tougher one, but I, I feel like just Zoom has sort of um, taken over my life. And I feel like sometimes I'm using Zoom etiquette in now social settings that we can be out and about more freely. And it seems that Zoom has carried over, sort of like you said about reverting to college. I feel like sometimes I inadvertently sort of flip into Zoom mode, um, even out in public now sometimes. So uh, I wish I had a mute button um, often in conversations, um, but uh, it hasn't hasn't gotten there yet. So um, yeah, good question. That's, Thank you. That's funny, Michael. I was just, I was laughing with somebody um, like, again, re-emerging into public for, for those of us that were uh, more at home for longer and really your interactions on Zoom is uh, like, it's like, wait, eye contact? What's that? <laughs> How do I do that? There's no screen and I need to be looking at least 20 faces and my eyes need to be shifting everywhere. It's like, when did that happen to me? <laughs> um, so Terry, how about you? What was your high, your low and your funny moment? Yeah, it's such a great format. You know, I've been listening to you guys and what great um, answers and anecdotes and, you know, I, I, I would just say this as a high. Um, right after the pandemic hit in March, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden all these roles, folks have to work from home, this and that. I decided I'm going to work in the office. And I talked to my boss. He said, you know, it's your decision but most folks are going to be at home for a while now. And my, my high was like the first like 30 days of COVID as crazy as it was. And I, I felt scared just like everybody else. Cause I didn't want to get it. I didn't want anybody to get it, but all of a sudden, you know, there's a million questions about telemedicine. Can we do this? And people are like, do we ever think of this? And the great thing about it was, I mean, some of the rules change, like Michael said, for reimbursement, which has been great. And hopefully they'll do that forever. But it was my high was I was able to be available and fairly quickly, I'll say fairly quickly or timely, be able to answer just about all their questions intelligently. I mean, I was getting over 100 emails a day specific to telemedicine, let alone all the other stuff we do with the health system. And just being able to say, yeah, you need to do this. We've done that, blah, blah, let me check on this. And it was just, it was exhilarating. It's more than a moment, but I, I look back and there was that three or four weeks. I just, and I was just I'm proud to be able to get through it. And I felt like, you know, as, as attorneys and, and compliance folks here in healthcare, you know, my, my story is if, if you put the time in and do the extra work, it will reap rewards and benefits, whether that's financial or not, or a promotion or not, so be it. But be, to be able to help your clients in a time of desperate need because you put the time in was, I don't know, it just, it felt very good. So that was my high, my low, uh, and I'll just share it. I, I uh, turned 50 last year on Thanksgiving day. Um, 
The Pittsburgh Steelers were supposed to play the uh, Baltimore Ravens that night in Pittsburgh. And I was born on Thanksgiving and, and it shows up every periodically, but it's not set. But it was like for my 50th birthday, four days before that, I was diagnosed with COVID. And, you know, at that point, you know, things were not stable yet with COVID, but I had to stay home and quarantine and I didn't get anybody infected, but it was a, it was a low point. Cause I just felt like, geez, all this stuff we're doing and everything. And now I got it. Somebody else is going to get it. I had a fairly mild case, but I still had the, you know, quarantine, like the physician, my doctor said, but it was a low moment where I just, and I, I was able to still do a lot of work. I was tired, but I just felt like, geez, I mean, this thing is, you know, we got to get this done. I mean, you know, we got to get back to normal life. And so it was very difficult, but I feel very fortunate made it through. Okay. My, my, my ha ha is, um, I know Sarah knows this. I'm a big music fan. I love the grateful dead and pink Floyd and, and other bands like the doors, but being at home as much as a lot of us have, I have a million, not a million, but hundreds of box sets. The grateful dead have released like 800 concerts. I collect them all. And I've been finally able to listen to them, but more importantly, like open these boxes up. They have nice books and pictures and memorabilia and, you know, dark side of the moon. If you buy the vinyl, it has these two posters, the original posters and stickers. And like a lot of this stuff you look at once and never look at again. And so I, I did feel like I was back in college all of a sudden. So <laughs> that's incredible. No, I love that. That's great. Um, I know it's, it's, uh, you know, that's a, I mean, both of your, the stories, the ha ha stories are, they're, they're a little bit about, um, a little bit about resilience and a little humor and, and trying to, you know, I think as lawyers, we, our tendency is when we see caregivers struggling is to, if you're a good health lawyer is to want to help and work through those issues and be supportive um, at the same time, we don't always give our self, we give, uh, we might, we give doctors permission and say, you know, you're human, it's okay. And we sometimes have a harder time doing that with our, ourselves as attorneys, because I think we have similar training in which we are taught to keep working and going. And so hoping out of this pandemic, that's something that um, will resonate both with, with a lot of people, not just lawyers and caregivers and, and doctors. So um, with that, um, I'm going to ask you both to give a takeaway that you'd like to leave the audience with. And I'm going to start with you, Terry. Sure. Um, and thank you, Michael and Sarah and everyone listening today. This has been really, uh, it's a real privilege and honor. You know, my takeaway, and you mentioned the word resilience is, uh, resilience. And my takeaway is, especially if, if you haven't been practicing that long or maybe you've been practicing a long time and, you know, it's long hours, it's stressful. You want to, your work product needs to be great and everything. But my whole thing is my takeaway is this, do your very best, sleep well at night, be confident, but most importantly, enjoy what you do. Find things within your job and in your career, whether that's con conversing with peers, whether that's saying, hey, I really like telemedicine. I want to learn all about it. Um, do things that for yourself that will make your work and your your client relations even better. 
And, you know, the sky is the limit. We have interns that have come through and I tell them the stories from when I started to where I'm at now in my career. And I'll tell you those first couple of years at UPMC, it was very difficult, but I got thrown into telemedicine and there's no going back for me. Um, <laughs> that's it. But Sarah knows that, but thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Terry. Um, Michael, what would you like to leave the audience with? I think uh, Terry definitely just gave us some great advice and it has certainly been a great opportunity for us to, to talk here today. Thank you, Terry. Uh, it's been great to, to get to speak with you. Sarah, thanks so much for, for coordinating this, of course, with AHLA. Um, I think for me, really what the takeaway is from the pandemic, when I sometimes think about everything that happened and everything that people went through, our, our caregivers, our residents, families. It's just been a good reminder, and particularly for the work that we do as health lawyers, it's been a good reminder to find those opportunities to stay positive, have your ha-ha moment. Um, I think that was such a great question, Sarah, because it, it really is important to find those times to just lighten the mood and, and bring a little bit of levity to your day and share that with a colleague. I think that's been um, one of the things that, that I've tried to focus on and, and really I hope that others take away because we deal with so many serious issues, frankly, even outside of a global pandemic, we deal with serious issues because it's healthcare. And so really just finding time to, to be positive, to laugh. I, I think laughter is something, um, at least in my family that has just always been um, such a great stress reliever for me and, and something that, that, you know, really, I think is something that's a good takeaway for all of us to find those moments uh, in our professional day to really lighten the mood. And I think it helps you reset and do a better job uh, as, a, as a health lawyer anyway. So thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Terry, for joining us. I want to thank the audience for joining us too. Um, and I also want to just do a shout out to AHLA again, because um, so many of the connections and people that I had as my support network or who I was their support network, I have met through AHLA. So uh, keep tuning into these podcasts and, uh, and thank you, AHLA, too. All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to AHLA Speaking of Health Law wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about AHLA and the educational resources available to the health law community, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org.